thank you for watching. If you're watch if you're watching us live, if you're watching this recording later on, um, I've been praying and that you've been that as I prepare this message that you'll be blessed. Um, if you want to know more about us, um, I want to invite you to come check out our website fvcelp.org, and there you will find all the information about all the information about our church, um, our COVID guidelines. Um, a little history about us, you know, our statement of faith, uh, you know, all that stuff. So um, if you want to know where we're at, also on the homepage, you'll find a map there and directions to where we're located. Um, if the Lord has put, you, put it in your heart to, to, to give, uh, there's a PayPal link there as well where you can uh, securely, you know, give anything you want, again, out of the joy of your heart. Um, you know, again, it's going to it goes a long way, you know, it helps us uh, make sure that our doors remain open, you know, uh, during this pandemic. So um, if you've given, thank you so much for that. Um, that means a lot and, you've, and you're blessing us. If you have any questions, feel free to contact uh, us um, and you can find that information again on our website. So um, this morning, we're going to continue on with our study into the book of Habakkuk. And today we're going to be finishing off chapter one. And we're also going to continue on and just read a, a short portion of chapter two. As I go through this passage, um, I want you to try to find some similarities, some, some ways that some things that may be apl applicable to what you're feeling, what you're going through um, right now in this current time that we live in. So before we get into God's word, let's ask him to speak to us this morning. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you that you have us here. Uh, we thank you that we were given the opportunity to to worship you, Lord. And, and Lord, I pray that that worship, this, uh, the heart of of, of singing will not just end today, Lord, but that it will be continual as the day continues on, as the week, new week begins. May we always take a moment just to sit down and, and meditate, maybe sing a word to you, Lord, and um, just worship you with a pure heart, Lord. We ask right now that you bless this time as we begin reading your word and, and sharing the message that you helped me, gave me to prepare, Lord. Um, so fill this room with your spirit, Lord. May we hear from you. May we know you and fall in love with you again or even more. And for those watching, you speak to them as well. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Habakkuk chapter 1. And we'll be beginning in verse 12 today. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12. The Word of God says, Are you not from eternity, Lord my God, my Holy One, you will not die. 
Lord, you appointed them to execute judgment. My rock, you destined them to punish us. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil, and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? You have made mankind like the fish of the sea, like marine creature, creatures that have no ruler. The, Chal the Chaldeans pull them all up with a hook, catch them in their dragnet, and gather them in their fishing net. That is why they are glad and rejoice. That is why they sacrifice to their dragnet and burn incense to their fishing net. For by these things their portion is rich and their, and their food plentiful. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slaughter nations without mercy? Now here, Habakkuk begins his second dialogue with God. If you remember, if you were here with us and you saw or you saw last week's message, um, Habakkuk's initial prayer was um, was for rescue. He wanted uh, the Lord to to rescue his to do something about the wickedness he was seeing around him in in his nation in the nation of Judah. Um, but and when God answers him, it's not the answer that he was expecting. He basically told him that he's going to be raising up the the wicked, evil um, Chaldeans to to march against them to, and to take them into exile. And so here, Habakkuk has more questions. So as I mentioned last week, Habakkuk had failed to believe the unbelievable. And so upon hearing what God had said would happen, it deeply troubled him. So as he begins this second dialogue, he wonders again why God would use a nation more wicked than Judah to bring judgment on his people. In verses 12 and 13, the prophet focused on the character of God, as Jonah had done when he disagreed with what God was doing with, uh, with the Ninevites. G. Morgan, G. Campbell Morgan said this, quote, Men of faith are always the men who have to, who have to confront problems. Unquote. You see, if you believe in God, you sometimes wonder why he allows certain things to happen. But keep in mind that there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Like Habakkuk, the doubter questions God and may even debate with God, but the doubter never abandons God. Unbelief is an act of the will. Unbelief is rebellion against God. It's a rejection of what he says and does. So again, as unbelief is an act of the will, while doubt is born out of a troubled mind and a broken heart. 
And that's exactly what Habakkuk is struggling with as he begins to make an argument against God, against what God had just said in verses 5 through 11. Again, just as God had said what happened at the end of verse 5, he can't believe what he just heard. It doesn't sound right. And so he quotes to God what he knows about God. Are you not from eternity, Lord, my God, my Holy One? You will not die. Habakkuk means that since God is eternal, unlike idols, God's people must also endure and prosper. God's eternal promises to Abraham and to David were at the heart of Israel's faith. Habakkuk wholeheartedly held on to these promises and he knew God wouldn't let his name fade into obscurity like the gods of other nations, nations that went extinct. So his confidence, Habakkuk's confidence of survival reflects his knowledge of God's future uh, commitment to his people in salvation history, the whole of salvation history. At the end of verse 12, he reminds himself of a couple of facts. First, that the Lord had appointed the Chaldeans to execute judgment, not total destruction on Judah. And second, as his rock or his changeless stability and security, God had destined them as his instrument to punish, not to demolish. In spite of his belief, what Habakkuk has heard of about the Chaldeans doesn't fit with what he knows about God. If God is pure and holy, how could he use an evil, treacherous, and idolatrous people to punish his own chosen people? Yes, the prophet understood that his people deserved punishment. But couldn't he find a a better instrument? Well, the answer is yes. But nothing had changed. He did find a better instrument. He did find instruments, but nothing ever changed. Let me let me show you. God had used other tools to chasten his people. War, natural calamities, the preaching of the prophets. And yet, even then, the people wouldn't listen. So now he would try a different method by using a terrifying and violent nation to get them to respond, to get them to repent and turn back to him. Yes, the Babylonians were wicked sinners, but they were idolaters who didn't know the true and living God. Now this didn't excuse or this doesn't excuse their sin, 
but it does explain their conduct. The Jews claimed to know the Lord, and yet they were sinning against the very law they claimed to believe. Now, as Christians, this ought to remind us that sin in the life of a believer is far worse than sin in the life of an unbeliever. Now, how so? If you're a Christian, if you're a believer and you sin deliberately, you're disobeying him and you're sinning against a flood of light and an ocean of love. We're told in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Now, unbelievers, they don't know God. They don't have His Spirit. And so they can't be convicted of sin. When they do something wrong, when they mess up, um, they may feel guilty about it. They may feel bad that they got caught, or they may feel, you know, bad that they, they messed up. Christians, on the other hand, we know the truth. We've been born again. And if you've truly been born again, then you have God's Spirit living in you. He dwells in you. And so if you're doing something wrong, if you're doing something that the Bible clearly says is sin, then you are deliberately disobeying him. And if you feel convicted about it and you ignore that conviction, then all you're basically doing is saying, I don't want to listen to you, God. I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. Those of us that, that have children, you know, we know that we don't like it when our children deliberately disobey us. We tell them, don't do this or don't do that. Stay away from this person or stay away from that thing or, you know. And when they do it knowing that we said not to, when your child does that, how do you, how does that make you feel? Now, again, we have a gracious and, 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 and holy God that, you know, but if you're deliberately doing it, I mean, uh, it really shows a lot about where your heart is and, you know, what you think about, what you think about God. Again, it doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It's just if you feel convicted, you're not doing anything about it, then that's where the problem is. Now, if you wonder... If you're curious, if you're just not sure if you are a Christian, well, here's a good sign. If you mess up and you feel convicted about it, then that's a good thing. It means God's Spirit is working in you and living in you. Now, all you have to do is repent and ask for forgiveness and come back to Him. And that's, and if that's where you're at, right now, then I, I want to just encourage you to just stop what you're doing and, and just come back to him. Repent of that sin, whatever it may be. and Come back to the Lord. Ask him to forgive you when he will. He will forgive you. 
no matter how bad it is, how, no matter how bad that sin is or how long you've been sinning, he just wants to hear from you. Father, God, Abba, I'm sorry. Again, if this is you, repent, ask for forgiveness, and return to the Lord. First John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, in verse 13, Habakkuk appeals to what he knows by God, to what he knows about God by repeating what he asked in verse 3 as statements of fact. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil, and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. These two statements set up the two questions that follow. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? And why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? And as I mentioned in the beginning, maybe these are questions that you're asking now that the election season is over and decisions have been made. Or, you know, it looks like one person is, you know, seems to be have, have the upper hand. Why? Well, for Habakkuk, in Habakkuk's case here, there's no immediate response. The answers to those questions, the first about the perpetrators of evil and the other about suffering, the suffering of their victims, would be given in the next section. Here, though, Habakkuk wanted to say something and he wanted to do something, but God was silent and seemingly inactive. Now, keep in mind that this simply wasn't a national problem to Habakkuk or even a theological problem. It was a personal problem. And you can tell by how he cried out in verse 12, Lord, my God, my Holy One. National and international events were affecting his personal walk with God. And this concerned him greatly. So likewise, it's important that we wrestle with these challenges because it's the only way that our faith muscles will grow. If we avoid the tough questions, or if we settle for half-truths, or and, uh, and if we settle for superficial answers, our faith will never be strengthened. It would be as if you were going to the gym and using the same weights day after day if you did that for a year, the same weights, 15-pound weights, 5-pound weights, you never increased it. You never challenged yourself. Do you really think you'd see any results in a month, three months, six months, a year? Probably wouldn't. You wouldn't, actually. However, if we face questions 
honestly and talk them through with the Lord, we will, as Second Peter 3.18 says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now in verses 14 through 17, the prophet expands his questions and objections more fully with the use of a fishing metaphor. A metaphor that begins with Habakkuk saying that that God had made mankind like the fish of the sea, like marine creatures that have no ruler. What he's saying here is that as helpless fish, Judah's people were easy prey for powerful invaders. In fact, they were so helpless that they lacked the ability to organize themselves themselves for even self-protection. They were like sea creatures that were on their own with no leader to guide them. But that's really not the issue. What really bothers him is the apparent, the apparent enjoyment and success of the Chaldeans' cruel intentions or cruel actions. In verses 15 and 16, Habakkuk then offers some objections to their treacherous activities. Like fishermen, the Chaldeans pull up the more righteous up with, up with a hook, catch them in their dragnet, gather them up in their fishing net, and are glad and rejoice. And furthermore, their wicked idolatry is revealed as he describes that they sacrifice to their dragnet, burn incense to their fishing net. In other words, they worship their military might. And and all this, again, they, they do these things, they worship these things while living in luxury with an abundance of food. There's no, they don't worry about it. It's not a concern. Nothing concerns them. So in other words, to the Chaldeans, life was cheap. And prisoners of war were expendable. They treated people as if they were fish to be hooked or sea creatures to be trapped. Keep in mind that idolatry isn't just limited to those who, sacri- who, who bring sacrifices or burn incense to inanimate objects. If you pay close attention to people who hold high positions or are powerful, or even if they're extremely wealthy, they have a lot of money, you will start to notice that they all share a similar trait. Many of them will often pay homage to the business or the agency that gave, that, that basically put them there, that gave them what they have. And in order to keep it, to maintain it, it becomes their constant obsession. And even their God. In the final verse of this chapter, Habakkuk again pushes forward the question of Yahweh's toleration of the wicked. He does this by essentially asking the same question he asked in verses 3 and in verse 13. 
To paraphrase, he wanted to know how long God would tolerate their merciless slaughter of the nations, including his chosen people. Once again, this is the prime question of the book and the answer. And the answer, which we'll soon see in chapter 2, will be yes and for a while. In this chapter, Yahweh is well aware that all these issues is well aware of these issues and will offer a lengthy perspective on justice and how it will be accomplished. Now, before we get into God's response, I want to first read the first verse of chapter two. And there it says, again, this is Habakkuk continuing on. I will stand at my guard post and station myself and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. He had made this complaint and now he put himself in a position to obtain the earliest, clearest information and then like a watchman, like a guard, to inform his waiting brethren. This is the most important principle for believers today as well. Whether we call it our quiet time, our devotions, or if you use some other term, daily, regular communion with God is crucial for every Christian. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, something that Jesus said when he was tempted by the devil. And there it says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Having communion, spending time with the Lord, should be just as important as eating, as showering, as going to work. And definitely it's got to be more important than spending three, four hours in front of the television, in front of your phone, in front of your you know, tablet, computer. Having that time where you're just connecting with him, sitting at his feet, and speaking to him, but also just being sitting in quietness. Maybe in that quietness, he he'll speak to you. And only in the only way he can, and the only way he knows that you'll hear him. But before we listen to God's encouraging reply to anything that he has to say, I want you to. It's important that you take a moment to examine your heart. Ask yourself, are you fully yielded to God? And are you willing for him to have his way with you and with those whom we love? A Christian, there's, Christian believer, there's nothing wrong with wrestling with the problems of life. 
and seeking a better understanding of God's will, there's nothing wrong with that. However, while you do this, while you're wrestling with the Lord and trying to ask him these questions and again, maybe cry out to him and and on your knees and tears and you have to be careful about you have to be careful when you do that you have to be careful not to begin a debate with God in order to change his mind in the New Living Translation Proverbs 19.21 says this you can make many plans but the Lord's purpose will prevail now, there's only a few examples in, our, in the Bible where God changed his mind, and that was for a reason and purpose. But once God's will and purpose is set, you're not going to be able to change it. You're not, he's not going to lie. He's not a liar, and he doesn't go back on his word. So what he says will stand. As we reflect on this verse, we should admire Habakkuk for being an honest man and wanting and and wanting God to spare the beloved people that or the people that he loved. But we should also want to imitate him in his openness and sincerity and in his willingness to wait for God's answer. And if that's what you want to do, you want to imitate him and you know, and you want to wait for his answer. Keep the words that Paul wrote in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 and 36. Keep it close. Keep these words close to your heart. Oh, the depth of the riches of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and unsearch and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? And who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. All right, so with the time remaining, I want to cover the first part of God's response. So let's turn back to our Bibles. And we're going to... Pick up in verse 2. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2. The Lord answered me. Write down this vision. Clearly inscribe it on tablets so that one may easily read it. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. Look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity, but the righteous one will live by his faith. Moreover, wine betrays an arrogant man. Moreover, wine betrays an arrogant man is never at rest. He enlarges his appetite like like Sheol. And like death, he is never satisfied. He gathers all the nations to himself, 
he collects other peoples for himself. At this point, the original readers of, of this book recognized that they had reached the main point, the, the apex of the book. God is going to answer both complaints and explain why the wicked rule in Judah and why the more wicked Chaldeans will also rule. In verse 2, God specifically instructs the prophet what to do, how to do it, and why he must do it. Write down this vision, clearly inscribe it on tablets, so one may easily read it. He wanted, God wanted to ensure that what he was about to say was known, that his message was known. He wanted it permanent so that generation after generation could read it. And if you think about it, we wouldn't be reading this book right now. We wouldn't be reading this book today had Habakkuk not obeyed this important detail. And he wanted it to be clear so that anybody could read it and understand his position. John MacArthur said this, Scripture, because of its absolute clarity, brings understanding where there is ignorance, order where there is confusion, and light where there is spiritual and moral darkness. It stands in stark contrast to the muddied, the muddled musings of unredeemed men who themselves are blind and unable to discern truth or live righteously. God's word clearly reveals the blessed, hopeful truth they can never see, unquote. Now, because I believe this still to be true, because I still believe this to be absolutely true, that God wants us to understand him clearly and plainly. And if you're wondering why I chose this particular translation of our Bibles as our church Bibles, the Christian Standard, um, the Christian Standard, Standard Bible, I wanted us to have a common text that we could read from that not, not only was clear and understandable, but was also as close as possible to the original language. Now, if you want more information, more, more details about what I mean by that, I encourage you, on, in the, every CSB Bible, there's an introduction to the CSB. You know, and I just would encourage you to read those, those, those few pages and, that explain why, what the CSB Bible is all about. But let me also say that, let me also say this, that if your personal preference is using a King James Bible version, or even the New Living Translation, the NIV, you know, or even, I know, you know, Christians who prefer reading a Spanish Bible as their own, per, during their own personal devotion, times of devotion and, and personal reading, that's okay. That's personally, I mean, if, if that's what you prefer and that's what you understand, you easily understand that's, it's great. Again, he wants to make himself known to you. If that helps, then, you know, go all at it, you know, read it. 
Now, again, we're just using here the CSV. So that the words you read on your page on these pages match the words that I'm reading out loud. All of us, every single one of us, is if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, should enjoy reading God's word. And if that becomes difficult because you have a Bible in front of you that has old and antiquated words or it has big complicated you know words that you gotta it seems like you gotta be a rocket science scientist to understand um, it's gonna be difficult to, to, to do that in Psalm 119 verse 130 it says God's Word it says this it says that God's Word gives understanding to the inexperienced this means that it is that it isn't necessary to be super smart to understand its truths. So again, returning to our text, God wanted Habakkuk to make sure his word was clear so that everyone understood it. And verse 3, Yahweh knows that many will not like the response they hear and will dismiss his word as ineffective or false, fake news. He also knows that he also knows that his way isn't the way preferred by his people. Thus, with his own word words, he says that the vision is yet to be yet for the appointed time, and though it delays, they are to wait for it. Now, by this he means that the people will be tempted to disbelieve because of the long wait. Also tempted would be the exiles. In Babylon, in, 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 in Chaldea, for 70 years before the return back to their land. During this particular time, their faith will require them to wait for Yahweh's, God's justice. Now, even though the revelation God gave was for and about a future time, the writer of Hebrews interpreted interpreted it to refer to the return of Jesus Christ. Led by the Holy Spirit, he changed the word it to the coming one and applied it to our Lord. And thus it says there in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37, for yet in a very little while, the coming one, the coming one will come and not delay. Along with the scoffers who Peter wrote about in Second Peter chapter three, verses three and four, some readers might ask, Where is the coming that he promised? Well we need to keep in mind that God's reply to us is also wait for it. Wait for it. It will surely come. So in the same way, a discouraged Jew in exile might ask, will the Lord come and deliver us? The answer is, the answer for him would be, yes, wait for him. Well, these introductory words prepare them to hear answers to the two questions, 
What about the way of the righteous? And what about the success of the wicked? So in verses 4 and 5, God speaks on what distinguishes the people of faith and the people who arrogantly trust themselves and leave God out of their lives. And in regards to the Chaldeans, he, summar- he summarizes their conce- conceited character by saying his ego is inflated like a bloated toad. These people were puffed up with pride over their military might and their great achievements. They had built an impressive empire, which they were absolutely sure was invincible. You could also make an argument that this is the condition of most people in our current society who belong to the world and live for the world. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, the apostle warns us against the pride of life that belongs to the, this present evil world system, which is against God and without God. Jonathan Edwards said, Pride is the worst viper in the human heart. Pride is the greatest disturber of the, of the soul's peace and of sweet communion with Christ. Pride is with the greatest difficulty rooted out. Pride is the most hidden, secret, and deceitful of all lusts. Pride often creeps insensibly to the, to the midst into the midst of religion, even sometimes under the guise of humility itself. So we, that's one of those sins that we need to be careful about, that you need to be careful about. Pride. That's what often keeps you down. That's what often keeps you from, from growing, from advancing, from draw, drawing near to God, is that sin of pride. Besides puffing them up, what else does pride do to people? It twists them inwardly. For the soul of the unbeliever is without integrity, which means that his inner appetites are crooked and sinful. He delights in the things that God hates, the things God condemns, in the five woes that we'll be seeing later on or next week in this chapter. Ladies and gentlemen, pride is everywhere and takes all manner of shapes. Let me just give you a few examples. The rich man is proud of what he has and the poor man is proud of his honor in having less. The talented man is proud of what he can do and the man with a few talents, and, and I mean, when I say man, I also want to include women in there. But the man of, or woman of a few talents is proud of his hard work. The religious man is proud of his religion, and the unbeliever is proud of his unbelief. The establishment man is proud of his place in society, and the countercultural man is proud of his outcast 
status. The educated man is proud of his intelligence and, and his learning. And the simple man is proud of his simplicity. Here's how, here's how Spurgeon put it. If there is a sin that is universal, 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 it is this. Where is it? Where is it not found? Hunt among the highest and loftiest in the world and you shall find it there. And then go and search amongst the poorest and most miserable and you shall find it there. There may be as much pride inside a beggar's rags as in a prince's robe. And a harlot may be as proud as a model of chastity. Pride is a strange creature. It never objects to its longings, to its lodgings. It will live comfortably enough in a palace. And it will live equally at its ease in a hovel. Is there any man in, who, in whose heart pride does not lurk? And this should help us examine our own heart and see where pride, our own pride lies. Pride also makes people restless. As verse 5 says, they're never at rest. This is why they're, they're given over to wine. And it makes them greedy because they're never satisfied. They're constantly seeking some new experience to, to thrill them or some new achievement to make them important. But when all is said and done and the adrenaline is gone and they made it to the top ladder rung of success, at the end of the day when they're lying there in solitude in their beds and looking up at the ceiling, it'll never fill the hole that lies deep within them. That hole can only be filled by God's Spirit upon accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So now the contrast. In one simple line at the end of verse 4, God declares the righteous one will live by his faith. This is the first of three wonderful assurances that God gives in this chapter to encourage his people. This one emphasizes God's grace because grace and faith always go together. Later next week when we get to chapter verse 14, uh, there it, it will emphasize God's glory. And there it assures us that Though this world is now filled with violence and corruption, it shall one day be filled with God's glory. And the third assurance is in Habakkuk, is in verse 20, and it will emphasize God's government. Empires may rise and fall. Nations may change their names and it, may, it will come and go and and elections will be won and lost. But God is on his holy throne. And he is king. He 
is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, for those of you who may not know, justification is the gracious act of God whereby he declares the believing the believing sinner righteous and gives that believing that believing sinner a perfect standing in Jesus Christ this means that the just person isn't someone who has met all of God's requirements by do by finishing a, a list of works because it says in Galatians chapter 2 verse 16 for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified for that's for if that's how one becomes righteous if you think if you believe that that's how a person becomes righteous then as Galatians chapter 2 verse 21 says Christ died in vain our Lord's parable of the Pharisee and the publican that we covered and went through when we were in Luke chapter 18, it makes it clear that no amount of religious effort or works can save a lost sinner. We can't justify ourselves before God because we stand with the whole world guilty, and condemned before his throne. All we can do is put our faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross because that's the only way to be saved. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's not it. There's more. We're not only saved by faith, but we're also instructed to live by faith. We're told in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, and this is the victory that, that has overcome the world, our faith. Faith, ladies and gentlemen, church is a lifestyle that is just the opposite of being puffed up and depending on your own resources. Habakkuk knew that difficult times were coming to the people of Judah and their only resource was to trust God, to trust in his word and rest in his will. Living by faith is the major theme of the book of Hebrews. For in that book, the phrase, by faith, is found over 20 times. To live by faith means to believe God's word and obey it no matter how we feel, what we see, or what the consequences may be. This is illustrated in Hebrews chapter 11 the famous by faith chapter of the Bible. The men and women mentioned in that chapter were ordinary people, ordinary people just like you and I. But they accomplished extraordinary things because they trusted God 
And they did what he told them to do. It has been well said that faith is not believing in spite of the evidence. It's obeying in spite of the consequences. Resting on God's faithfulness. So I want to close here by asking those who are watching and listening, do you have faith? Are you a child of God? Do you have God's Spirit living in you? Where are you, Lot? Where where are you at? at this particular moment in in time? Are you seeing what's happening in our world right now and are feeling anxious or worried or scared, concerned? Well, just like God had told Habakkuk, Yeah, you know, this may happen, but trust in me. Yeah, you you may have to endure some hardships here and there, and you may have to go through some hard times. The church may have to suffer for a bit, but again, he knows what he's doing. And in your life, too, he knows what he's doing. When, When things are going horribly wrong and nothing seems to be going right, and, you know, the whole world seems to be against you, your family seems to be against you. Keep holding on to him. But if you don't know him, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you don't have him in, as if you don't have God's spirit living in you, that anxiousness, that fear is just continue to, it's just going to continue to keep coming. You know, if it's not one thing, it's going to be another thing. But when you're a child of God, you are resting in God's hands. You are you can rest assured that He's in charge and that He will give you the peace that you need if you just come to Him. So again, if you're out there and you're watching and listening and you've never Surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You want to believe. You want to be justified. You want your sins to be forgiven. I want to invite you to the cross. I want to invite you to the cross and and lead you in a prayer to receive him. So if that's you, wherever you're at, I want you to close your eyes and bow your head and And with all your heart, with all sincerity, pray this. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I ask that you forgive me. I truly believe now that you died for my sins, that you died on the cross for my sins. And that three days later, you rose from the dead. And so, 
starting right now, Lord, at this very moment, I turn from my sins and confess you as my personal Lord and Savior. Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. So now I ask you that you fill me with the Holy Spirit so that he may help guide me in my new born-again life. In your name, amen. If you pray that sincerely, you are born again. God's Spirit has made his dwelling, made his, uh, is now dwelling within you. And if that, you know, and you believe that and you know that for a fact, I want you to contact us. I want you to reach out to us so that maybe we can talk to you and maybe help you in your, in your next steps of your new Christian faith and, um, and maybe lead you in the right direction. Maybe send you a Bible or if, if you're out of town or somewhere um, uh, in another country or whatnot, I help you find a, a church, a good Bible teaching church. But if you're here locally, can I... I want to invite you here to to Fresh Vision Church, the corner of Gateway South and Hondo Pass. We want to hear from you. So, um, yeah, reach out to us. So for now, this again concludes today's message. Um, We will pick up where we left off next week in in God's response, how he responded to Habakkuk um, and to the nation. Um, I hope you will join us as as we continue with that. So again, I want to thank you for joining us. Please share this message, like it, um, you know, and, and put it out there in your own social media platforms. I hope you have a blessed week, and we'll see you soon. Farewell.